Welcome to the Pharos Fit Podcast, where we help you to explore your capacity to move better, push further, and achieve your limitless potential through fitness, nutrition, recovery, and lifestyle. The most important thing I could uh, tell you is you need to control your fear and manage fear. It's the psychology of fear, not the physiology or biology of fear. Right. You have to, ex- you have to expect fear. Your fear is going to happen, and then and it's then just about how it. you deal with it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and then the, the reframe there that is big, and I can't get into the whole fear management uh, process right now, is that when you're managing your fear, if you expect this state of no fear, you're in for a rude awakening. Mm. Right. Remember this. So my next tip is you can't be brave if you're not afraid. It's okay to be afraid. It's okay to turn your fear into fuel. Yeah. Your fear is your fuel. That's where you tap into your indignation. Hey guys, welcome back to the Faros Fit Podcast. Great to be back with you guys again. I am here today with Tony Blauer. Uh, if you don't know who Tony is, uh, Tony is the founder of Blauer Tactical Systems, uh, which he founded in 1985, which has grown to be one of the world's leading consultant companies specializing in the research and development of performance psychology, personal safety, and close quarter tactics and scenario-based training for law enforcement, military, and professional defense instructors. Um, as, as, as that kind of suggests, he's one of the best at this stuff, guys. So this, this is going to be a great podcast. I want you guys to really listen to this. You're going to get a lot out of it. Um, I'm going to let you know everything that Tony does and how you can, how you can learn from him. Uh, Tony, thanks so much for being with me today. I'm, I'm so excited that you're on our podcasts. Right. Uh, you're a busy guy, uh, and it's, it's so good to have you here. So thank you so much. Thank, thank you, man. I've been, I've been actually uh, like a fan of yours. And, and the Pharos movement, everything uh, since you guys started. So I've been lurking on the side and I'm glad we finally connected. Me too, brother. Thank you so much. Um, so, so why don't we just start, like, let's, uh, let, let's let the listeners know, like, everything about you and everything about Tony. Um, what's your background? How did you get into this? And, and you know, let's start from, uh, start from there. Yeah, well, at, at 60 years of age, if we start from the beginning, we, we may run out of uh, hard drive space. <laughs> um, and, and, and time. But, you know, the, the short answer is I grew up in Canada and I was always very athletic and uh, uh, played multiple sports, but I was always very afraid of uh, competing, not actually getting in the game, but afraid to let down my teammates, afraid to perform. And it was a real weird dichotomy because I was really good. I mean, I, I would right. play, I would do well, but I always carried this weight of, of fear and stress of how's this going to turn out, you know, always worrying about the future. And uh, uh, so, you know, I, I wrestled, I do, do, competed in wrestling, gymnastics. I was a uh, very serious skier. Uh, if you grew up in Canada, you're either a skier or a skater. Right. And I was a skier and, um, you know, I, I, where where my whole fascination with self-defense and martial arts kicked off was I was about 12 years old. I was leaving our elementary school and uh, up the street, they had just built a, like a, a new high school the year earlier. It had just opened up and uh, I was going to, I was going to be going to school there next year. And I'm leaving this baseball game. I'm all alone. And I kind of like skipping through the parking lot. And these two kids are on the sidewalk and, uh, they turn in when they see me and they go, Hey kid. I go, yeah. And I stop and I'm all like, you know, we're just finished playing baseball. I'm excited. I'm going to walk home. And, uh, they go, uh, you go to school here. And I go, yeah. They go, uh, when do you go to high school? They point the gesture. I go next year. They go, are you going to high school next year? This one? They go, yeah. 
They go, well, and they look at each other. And in that moment, I go like, something's wrong. And one of them, they grab me and spin me, put me in like a full Nelson, uh, like the, you know, arms pinned behind my back. And I'm like, ah. and, uh, and the kid in front goes, welcome to high school. And he does like that Sugar Ray Leonard bolo punch. Oh, God. And he just sucker punches me in the gut. Well, everything went into super slow motion as this happened. And this is an interesting thing. Like the, the, the physiology of stress can, can uh, activate what's called tachypsyche. And this is in, from survival learning research where your brain starts to process things so quickly that things appear like they're going in slow motion. Right. And you probably experienced that at some point. Uh, uh, everyone has. It's usually like, like a car accident or something dramatic you know, where, where you're not really sure how this is going to turn out and things suddenly slow down. What's your brain just is just processing things so quickly uh, so that it's trying to identify exactly what the threat is. Anyways, this goes into slow motion. And as I anticipate impact, Peter, I, I, I scream and I make this joke often. I don't mean to, uh, to disrespect anyone, but I, I, I tell this joke, like I screamed better than my sister would have screamed, right? I had two sisters and I would tease them and they'd scream and all this stuff. But I screamed like, I was like, ah, and, right. and it scared me, but it scared them. And I felt it. It was fascinating. Uh, I hope you guys dig the story because it's, it's very funny. Um, I felt as I was screaming in that moment, remember, I'm like 12 years old, yeah. 12 turning 13. No, no study of martial arts or self-defense, but I felt when I screamed that the guy's grip changed, I felt like I had scared him by my fear. And as the punch hit, and you know this from your training and boxing, stuff like that, if you're going to take a body shot, you're not going to go like this and go, okay, hit me. You're going to, okay, okay. If you're doing body tempering, you're going to go, okay, go, go ahead and hit me. Like you, you tighten up, you lock up. Well, I was as tight as I could be. I mean, the guy's pulling on my arms. I'm trying to get away. I was, you could have hit me with a baseball bat then. I didn't know that. He hits me, boom. I don't feel a thing, but my psychological system was anticipating so much impact that I screamed and I felt the guy loosen up and I immediately knew intuitively I need to scream again, even though I'm not hurt. So I yelled again. I pretended like my ribs were broken and I couldn't breathe. I went, ah, <gasps> and the guy let go of me and I could see them look at each other and they, they took off. And I'm on the ground on all fours going, ah, ah. and when they turned the corner in the tree line and they were gone, I kind of like sat up, fixed my shirt, went, what a bunch of fucking assholes. What the hell was that? And I, I went home and this is the whole point of the story, but why I'm explaining it in such detail to your listeners is because the be your own bodyguard system that I developed decades later drew on some of these lessons that I right discovered then through intuition nobody teaches yeah. this stuff feigning pain feigning fear and using that in a trojan horse metaphor to manipulate the behavior of your threat whether it's an attempted rape whether it's a, a robbery you can mitigate the violence by by manipulating the behavior if you understand the psychology of the bad guy but we can get into that later yeah fascinating i get home and my dad says, so, you know, uh, how's the game? What, you know, I said, I was good. He goes, what else? Anything exciting happened? Yeah, I got beaten up by two guys. And he looks at me. He goes, what, was it a pillow fight? Like he makes, because I have no marks on me, right? So he says, what is a pillow fight? And I said, no, dad, seriously, I got, I got beaten up. These two guys jumped me. And he said, 
72, it was like 1972, turning 73. He said, well, you got to learn some martial arts. And that was the first time I'd heard the term martial arts like that. But I grew up as a Bruce Lee junkie, Robert Conrad junkie. But, you know, when you're six or seven years old watching the original Wild Wild West, watching um, uh, the original uh, Green Hornet, yeah. uh, you don't know what you're watching. But I was transfixed by this this artistic violence like you know bruce lee kicking somebody in the head as the green hornet and robert conrad slipping somebody and throwing a hook punch and dropping the bad guy i was i was fascinated by that stuff um 73 bruce lee passes away and of course there's the the martial art revolution right and and uh so i immediately signed up at there was only one school near us a taekwondo school so my first actual official martial art was taekwondo fell in love, worked out seven days a week, uh, got into a confrontation when I was 15 with a kid in school and he had shoved me up against the wall. And, uh, I, I, I kept hearing in my, in my head as I was trying to figure out the range, cause I was jammed up against the wall. I heard this voice. He's too close to kick. He's too close to kick. And I didn't know any striking cause Taekwondo is not a striking art. And, uh, we got in a fight. I ended up it was, it was, it was messy and it was, it was shitty. Uh, I dominated, but it was fearful and accidental. And afterwards I immediately signed up for boxing lessons thinking, well, if I'd known something about firing a punch, I could have done something. I ended up throwing the world's shittiest jab that hit the guy. And then he immediately came back with an overhand, right? We get into this, this, this crazy movement, but it's curious. And, and again, I point out, I'm, I'm trying to quickly take my journey to when I started teaching and how the, the this behaviorally based self-defense system evolved is like everybody else. I was looking for like tools in my toolbox to solve problems. If only I'd known at a box, if only I'd known at a grapple, if I only had known jujitsu and that's the danger, you know? So, so the, I didn't know this years later, 1980, I started teaching professionally and um, what were you teaching at that point, Tony? Um, well, I was, I was, I was working for my father, uh, you know, uh, sweeping the, the, the back of his uh, import export facility and working as a shipper. And, but I was a martial art fanatic. So I'm always working out. I'm always walking around hitting, uh, hitting stuff. We get these big boxes come in and I would, you know, I would actually beat the crap out of these boxes. Once I unpacked them, like Rocky would hit, you know, yeah. sides of beef, right? yeah. like, like Stallone. And they were, they were so huge, Peter. They were like massive, like literally you could stand, you right. could stand in them. They were like inch and three quarter corrugated, uh, um, uh, cardboard. So you could really boom, dig a shot in there. And if you hit it really good, a knuckle would pop in and, and you get that dopamine hit from the auditory crack so I used that as my bags. I didn't have bags, right? And and one day, uh, one of my dad's best friends and also client, this guy Joey, says, um, hey, uh, Mitch, his 15-year-old son, is having a bully issue. Would you teach him some stuff? And I said, yeah, sure. And uh, so I start teaching Mitchell. And what am I teaching him? I'm teaching him some wrestling some kicking from Taekwondo and some boxing. Those are the three arts that I had actually been training in. It was like UFC basically. <laughs> it, I mean, it was, it was, I think there were a lot of guys around the world 
blending stuff. You know, Kajakempo is a blend of things. And, right. and of course, Jeet Kune Do blends stuff, you know, Bruce Lee's art. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that was mixed martial art in that sense yeah. of, of blending. And, and uh, so three months later, which is an ironic time for anybody who knows how long tip, a typical fighter will prep for a fight is three months. Yeah. Three months later, uh, Mitch gets into the fight with this kid at school. Now, this is kind of the actual origin story for my, my philosophical shift from learning martial arts for self-defense and reverse engineering uh, scenarios for self-defense. That's an right, important yeah. distinction. I'm teaching Mitch this stuff. Up until now, the, the, the bullying had been verbal abuse. Now, back in 1980, uh, you know, the world was a different place. It was suck it up, go tell the teacher, don't be a pussy. Why don't you just punch him? You know, years later, we discovered how much like emotional abuse can really impact people, right. uh, uh, you know, from PTSD to suicide to it's gotten uh, to serious things. And there's probably some, some, I, I think society's gotten a lot so- softer. So that sort of stuff impacts us in it, you know, but that's probably a different podcast and a different discussion. But back then it was, you got a bully problem. I'm going to hire uh, a guy who I know who, who is a martial artist to teach you to defend yourself. That was the dad's fix. Yeah. Yeah. School, school wasn't doing anything. I was always a very ethically inclined person. My integrity has never been for sale. And I would tell Mitchell, because he's 15, he's t- full of testosterone. He's going, you know, he'd go, hey, Coach Blauer, when can I hit this guy? I go, Mitchell, maybe never. He's an asshole. I, like, you're not going to sucker punch this guy. That's not what we do. Right now, he hasn't touched you. You just ignore him and avoid him. And the school's not doing anything. But one day, if he touches you, that's when you legally can defend yourself. Yeah. Don't let people, don't let someone grab your neck. Don't let somebody shove you. Right. And, and I said, if he hasn't touched you yet, so right now you're just going to avoid. And, you know, like a month later he go, this guy's really getting on my nerves coach. Like when can I, and I remember saying to him, Peter, I said, I said, Mitch, do you know to move your head properly or block or strike or slip? He's like, not really. I said, do you know how to strike really fast and hard? Cause no, I'm just learning. I said, well, until you learn, how to strike and defend yourself, I suggest you don't get into a physical fight. <laughs> it was like very, very matter of fact, you have no talent or skill right now. I would avoid this as long as possible. So almost to the day, three months later, Mitch is late for class. Remember, he's 15, he's running through school. And this kid sees him, he's sitting at the back against some locker banks. And I used to give this kid Mitchell private lessons at his house. So I come in for the private lesson. Here's how I find out about it. He's sitting there like this. I go, what's up? What's going on? And he erupts. He goes, motherfucker. You know, I go, hey, calm down, man. What's what's going on? What happened? He tells me he's late for class. He's running for class. And this kid trips him, right? And he goes flying in front of a bunch of people. His books go flying. He goes flying. He's embarrassed. And uh, he gets up and he's kind of erupts. He's like, you fucking asshole. Like he's swearing at the guy. And Mitch had never asserted himself up until that point. He just kind of like, I'm not seeing this. And, and the guy go, what did you say? And he steps up and he, you know, he walks, he encroaches Mitchell. And Mitch looks at me, goes, he goes, you've been bugging me since school started. I don't even know. I don't even know like who you are. Like what, what the hell, you know, like leave me alone. And the guy goes, what are you going to do? And he pokes him, you know, that, that 
that bully shot that, that pokes him, right? And Mitchell just loses at that point, and he grabs the guy, and he's describing, he said, and he shoved me, he says, and then I lost it. I grabbed him, and I slammed him against the locker bank, and I screamed. I said, don't ever touch me. And Mitchell stops the story there, Peter, and I goes, he goes, um, I go, and? He goes, puts his head down, he goes, he dropped me with a left hook. I'm like, I'm like, dude, what, what do you mean he dropped you with a left hook? Like, why didn't you check it? Why didn't you parry it? Why didn't you slip it? Why didn't you do any of the stuff we did? And he looks at me and he goes, well, and you could see him like reliving it. He goes, I was holding him with my left hand on his shirt. And he goes, I had all my books in my hand. And I, in that moment, imagine that, imagine if you had to box somebody and I said, grab his shirt and hold your gym bag. How, how soon until you get punched in the face? Well, the answer is right away. You immediately get punched in the face because you've tied up both your blocking and striking tools. So, but in the moment, here's what happened. And this is the, this is the, the, the coolest thing as far as like ignition for an idea. And I've explained this story many times. It was like the God of self-defense struck me with a lightning bolt. And I said, oh my God, we teach self-defense wrong. Right. And when I said we, I was, I was benevolently including everybody in the world. I was like an, like an aficionado. I studied everything. I, was, I had a, a book collection of all martial arts. Almost every single self-defense and martial art book and study starts from the fight is already on, meaning it's active self-defense. If you know you're, you're boxing somebody Friday night, right? And you go, yeah, let's, let's, let's fight Friday night, seven o'clock at the gym. And Thursday, he walks up to you at the gas station while you're pumping gas and goes, you ready for tomorrow? And you go, yeah. And he goes, wham, and he, and he slam. He's going to hit you because you're not ready for the fight now. You're ready for the fight in 24 hours. When we learn any type of martial art, we say things, and I know this, if the guy has a knife, do this. If the guy has you in a headlock, do this. If the guy goes to tackle you, do this. So think about this. To practice all of those moves, to practice all of those moves, I have to, to practice all of the counters, I need to let the attack happen. Yeah. The way neuroscience really works is this. Your brain is part hard drive and, and, it's, and it's, it's, it's memorizing everything that it thinks is important. But there's a part of your brain that's always trying to predict the future. There's a part of your brain always trying to guess what the weather's going to be. Is dinner going to be good? Is this going to be a, a, a good meal? Am I going to get laid tonight? Am I getting fired tomorrow? The brain is always, always trying to predict the future. And it's an interesting way to look at it, you know, if, if you understand that deeply in terms of like, like self-awareness. In the self-defense world, this is important because there's another part of your brain and, and you probably know this, and if you don't, I'll just give you a, a light overview. The neuroscience of learning a skill set requires repetition. You decide this is a practical skill. It could be a deadlift. It could be a jab. It could be a snatch. Uh, uh, you know, it could be a running technique. When you, when you decide this is important, I'm going to do it, you myelinate. You create my, myelination, which is this, this sheath that connects to, to neurons, and that becomes your neural program. What a lot of people misinterpret, or uh, it's, there's no such thing as muscle memory in the truest sense, but what they call muscle memory. It's a neural pattern, what you've learned. So get this. 
when I practice how to kick, how to block, how to strike, I'm creating neural patterns. But those neural patterns are triggered when I see a movement pattern that I that tells my brain, ah, oh, you know what to do here. So think about this. We, we do things like, like, what would you do if a guy gets you in a headlock and your brain da- downloads what it's learned? If it hasn't learned anything, somebody on this call goes, I don't know what to do. Well, they would freeze because their brain has nothing to download. Somebody who's downloaded something or somebody who's trained something will download stuff. So you remember the 10,000 hour metaphor, right? Yeah. You know, Macklemore made it really famous. Gladwell made it really famous. Yeah. 10,000 different yeah. expert. Yeah. Yeah. So, but it was based on a study by, by a, a researcher named Erickson in Europe. And it, the, without getting into what the 10,000 hour metaphor became, basically, if you do anything, basically they, they said, if you do something for the magic number seemed to be 10,000 hours, you, you attain mastery of that guitar, boxing, whatever it was. They, they studied Gretzky. They studied uh, the Beatles, blah, blah, blah. So, what I tell people, I go, look, if you do anything 10,000 times, you're going to get good at it. The problem is, and this is one of our, our, our maxims from our system, be careful what you practice. You might get really good at the wrong thing. Yeah. Be careful what you practice. You might get really good at the wrong thing. And, and, and some people, Peter, think like I'm insulting them or their approach to something. What I'm actually and always been talking about is, no, it's neuroscience that you're, you're myelinating the neuron to move a certain way. And if what you did is less desirable, then what you've done is you compounded the problem you're in. The bigger thing is this, if you do 10,000 reps of how to get out of a headlock or how to do a gun disarm or what to do if somebody mounts you, in order to practice that move, you have to do, and this is the kicker, 10,001 reps of letting somebody do that move. So you're always, when you're practicing the, the ethical counter, you're always practicing more reps than the actual counter, right? Because you got to start with, okay, throw the punch. I'm going to slip. So without getting too deep in the weeds, and I think I've already <laughs> screwed that up, oh, yeah, um, right. is, is, uh, is this. I, and I love I loved this part of the neuroscience. If I create a pattern, so if I ask a Taekwondo guy, what would you do if somebody was in your personal space threatened and threatening you? The Taekwondo guy is never going to say, I'm going to double leg him and take him to the ground because his neuro, his programming is kicking predominantly. Yeah. If I say to the boxer, what do you do guys in your, in your space? The boxer will never say, I'm going to step back and kick him. Right. Because he has an unconscious bias through the myelinization of the neuron, the practice, the motor pattern of going, hey, man, and throwing the body shot or the uppercut or whatever. And if I say to the, the MMA guy who has practiced double leg, double leg, take him down, ground and pound, choke him out, you know, he's not going to he's not going to say, well, you know, I'm going to. Uh, uh, I'm going to, you know, step to two o'clock, get to the guy's outside, secure his arm. He's not going to do something that he hasn't practiced. He's not going to visualize that. So I guess then I could talk about this shit for, for, for way longer than the podcast, but, but the, cause it fascinates me. The brain part fascinates yeah. me. And that's, and that's how we hack learning is we, we understand how the brain works. So we, we program people. We don't program, but we show them natural movements that are part of a 
natural program in their body and uh, a motor recruitment uh, pattern that they already have. For example, if you put your seatbelt on 10,000 times, that's the same range of motion as an elbow. If you do, look, your members, members in Pharos, how many push-ups, somebody who's been training with you for a year, how many push-ups have they done in a year? Both in warming up and in warm. They've done at least 100 a week for a year. Right? So, so what is that? Right? 6,000 yeah. push-ups? A lot. So for those of you listening to this who've never done any self-defense, the kinetic chain of a push-up is the same as a palm strike. It's almost right. the same as a strike. Mm-hmm. The safest place, the safest way to hit somebody in self-defense is with your palm, not with your fist. You like boxing. I like boxing. But fists and wrists are the most uh, uh, broken part Vulnerable, of any yeah. fighter's, fighter's anatomy. So boxers regularly sprain and break, fracture, hands, sprain wrists, and they're using a wrap and then tape and a glove, and they're still hurting their hand. Right. So you tie this into my system, which is weaponizing the start of flinch. When you get scared, your hands open up and you push away danger. You're already loaded the push-up position. The platform's there. The missing link in the training, and this is what we do in our training, is we connect uh, fear and aggression. Right. Right. And that's the indignation of how do I hit somebody hard? Because a lot of people wrestle with that. It's like, I've never hit anyone. How do I do that? Yeah, I was kind of curious, like uh, prior to, to when you started working, how much emphasis was there on how to deal with anxiety and emotion as opposed to just the technical side of self-defense? Yeah. You know, like when, when, a, when a boxer first steps in the ring, whether it's sparring for the first time or whatever, the thing, that, the thing that kills them is just the anxiety and that strips all their energy and then just everything falls apart. Whereas when they're calm and they can deal when they're, when they're prepared – you know, you can deal with the situation a lot better. So did that exist prior to, to when you started working or not really? It, 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 it existed. Certain coaches would talk about it, but it was almost always like, like a fortune cookie at a Chinese restaurant. Customato, who, you know, you know, was a great boxing coach, but, uh, but got really famous because he, he trained the young Mike Tyson. Yeah. And, and, and D'Amato would say things like the difference between the hero and the coward is what they do with their fear, both feel it. So you go like, that's up in the gym. But what does that mean? Like, I could read that and go, right, right, right. Okay, what do I do with that? Like, it was a fortune cookie. It was like a, like a Zen cone. It was like, what do I do with that? Um, remember, I said earlier on, I, 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 I didn't struggle with the fear as a young athlete. I carried the weight of fear. And that's a distinction. Right. Because I showed up to the games. If I was competing in the, in the wrestling match, uh, I was still there trying to win, but I was carrying the weight, the stress, right? So you have uh, uh, an athlete who's so stressed out before a competition tomorrow, you see him in the morning, you go, hey, man, do you get some sleep? He goes, no, I was tossing and turning all night. He's got to try to hit that flow state, but he's also sleep deprived. Yeah. Right. So, so if we can figure out the anxiety part, right, the anticipation of danger or fear and what it's doing to us, uh, then, you know, what we, what we do is we're better prepared on game day and on game day, whether you're competing in a, some functional fitness workout or you're, 
got to defend yourself or you're making a presentation at work or you're, you're deciding, Oh, should I, should I get married? I mean, how am I going to ask this man or woman to marry? Whatever it is, all of that, we start a movie in our mind and we start hallucinating. How's this going to go? And, you know, in, in, in our no fear program, we explain that the fear spike creates doubt, doubt creates hesitation, hesitation creates procrastination. So those three things happen almost automatically. You can't have a moment of doubt without stopping what you're doing. If I say to you, um, uh, Peter, I need you to uh, uh, write a check for this, and it's this investment. And you go, can I afford that? Should I invest in this? That's a moment of doubt. And it might be like required thinking, but anytime doubt happens, everything stops. Mm. So if you've got a moment of doubt just before you're going to do a deadlift and it's a max lift PR, that might be the moment you also pull your back or your hamstring because you hesitated, you you stepped out right. of that flow yeah. of stepping in. Every athlete that I've ever worked with, I ask them, and we, we tell people like in our in our beer and bodyguard class, one of our one of our tenants, we tell people like our intuition is like an internal GPS that's warning you. Our intuition is almost never wrong. And we tell people like every every victim of violence that I've ever interviewed said they had a bad feeling before the attack. Yeah. But they don't know what to do with it. It's like, I knew there was something wrong with that guy. I knew he was following me. I knew that guy was a creep, you know, or whatever. But the same thing, if I said to you, you know, and I'll, I'll use me, I know, you know, I, I've had for, for years on and off, like a, like a left hamstring issue. I know before it's going to happen. I'm running and I go, oh man, I think my hamstring's going to go, but I don't stop running. Right. That, like that was my intuition going, hey, idiot, stop running. You got to figure this out. Yeah. I know when I'm going to throw my back out, right? And so I tell people like our intuition whispers in our ears and then our ego or our pride or our lack of self-awareness goes, shut up, I got this. Yeah. So this is a, you know, you asked a really interesting deep question about like mindset and, and stress management. Back in the 80s, certainly not in the 70s, but back in the 80s, that didn't really exist. And what happened was, I never finished, uh, you know, the, the story about Mitch. I want to I circle back to that for a second, yeah. if I can. Mm-hmm. When Mitch got sucker punched, and I had that that uh, the that the joke I make, the God of War hit me with the lightning bolt, and mm-hmm. I again benevolently, twenty years old, go, wow, we teach self defense wrong. I had this insight that all self defense, not should be, must be taught from the perspective of what's the scenario, who are you in the scenario? Yeah. What's going on, right? And because in this scenario, the first place we're, we're attacked is our emotional psychological system. But all self-defense and all martial arts starts from the physical. Mm. That's why I gave you that 10,000 hours metaphor. Yeah. You come into class, your instructor says, hey, be careful out there, situational awareness. Now check this out. Peter, get me in a rear strangle. You go behind. Okay, guys. Get your chin down, grab. It starts like the attacks already happened. If you Google self-defense right now, the classical definitions online are the physical act of protecting your property or your life. Even the the dictionary assumes the attack has already happened and now you got to counter it. My company's definition is completely different. We have an official definition. It is the decision to choose safety when danger is imminent. Mm. 
the decision to choose. And we thought about that. And what that does is that gives you permission to include two stages that seem to be missing from most self-defense protocols. And that is the detect and avoid and defuse and de-escalate. So Mm. in the 80s, we created what's called the three Ds, detect, defuse, defend. Detect and avoid, defuse and de-escalate. And if push comes to shove, how to defend yourself. So we've got three distinct blocks that are like Lego blocks that connect together. So I make this joke, like real violence isn't like Star Trek where somebody can beam down, right? I'm not here like this. You know, I just finished a workout and I'm, I'm like going, <sighs> I'm bending over. Am I going to throw up? And then all of a sudden a guy beams down and gets me in a headlock and it's perfect because I'm already bent over throwing up in a bucket, Right. How did the guy get me in a headlock? Where did he come from? So I always make this joke, real violence isn't like Star Trek. And all of my research, decades of research, every victim of violence who lived to tell the tale said they had a bad feeling, which means your intuition saying something's wrong here. Mm. Yeah. Why aren't we starting self-defense there? Well, if all, remember your brain's a hard drive trying to anticipate the future. So if all I practiced, all I have is my, my, my uh, uh, mental uh, blueprints of getting out of a headlock or a lapel grab or a punch comes in, I slip it or I block it, then I don't have any data points on what to do when I get a bad feeling. Yeah, I don't have any data points when someone says, hey, you know, can I ask you a question? I don't know how to diffuse it, de-escalate it, right? So we have tons of content for that that we built over, over it's now 43 years I've been teaching. I almost um, think like, I almost think of it like, like when I'm riding my motorcycle, it's like you have to look way ahead of you into all the possible scenarios and situations that could go wrong. Is that car going to pull out? What's this person going to do? Is this person going to run in the street? Like, I almost think of it like that with self-defense. It's like, what are all the situations that could potentially happen? And how, can, an I avoid, how can I avoid them? That's an amazing example. And it's one of the things that I tell people when I'm explaining to them, you know, how to diffuse your vision, Right. And, and see stuff and anticipate. And I give them examples. Like if you ride a bike, if you ride a bicycle, if you ride a motorcycle, if you ride a car, you already understand situational awareness, mm. but then you don't apply it when you're like walking down the street. I mean, most people don't. Right. Um, so, so I, I try to, with everything we're teaching is I, I try to connect it like the elbow Right. If, if you're doing like for for people who work out uh, uh, um, with you, like if, if we ended up doing something at, at your place, I'm taking if you can do a front rack. Right. You can do a vertical elbow. Somebody's choking you. And I go, well, you know, front rack him in the face. Right. I'm connecting it to I'm connecting it to a neurological motor skill that you already know. Now, what's hard is hitting somebody hard. And, and, and having some meaningful aggression behind it because they're attacking you. So we've got a block, you know, that we talk about as far as, uh, you know, manifesting aggression and courage and stuff like that. But it was interesting. In the 80s, when, when Mitch lost that fight, I immediately looked at him and I said, are those your books? And he goes, what? I go, are those your school books from today? He goes, uh, yeah. I said, grab him grab them and grab me. And now I use big fancy words like replicate and reverse engineer. But when I was 20, it was just do that. And we just worked through it again. And what was interesting at the time was when I grabbed him holding his books and I told him to throw the punch, 
I could feel my body locking up. We learned years later with the cross extensor chain in, in from the neuroscience of startle flinch is that if you're holding your purse or your kid or your keys or you're a police officer listening to this and you've got somebody's ID and, and a flashlight like this and somebody throws a punch at you, you're not going to go wax on, wax off. When, when, when you start a flinch, if your body is touching anything, it'll clamp down on it. It'll, it'll lock down on that. And so, you know, when he grabbed the, the kid's shirt and was holding his books, when that guy started the left hook, even though his body maybe wanted to cover his head or push away danger, it couldn't because of physiology. Mm. So, you know, our system only integrates the physiology, uh, uh, the, the understanding elements of physics and the psychology of movement. So it's truly a scientific look at how can we protect ourselves. It has nothing to do with gender. Mm. It has nothing to do with your occupation. It's just like, hey, here's how the body moves under duress. Um, but I started doing, you asked me about fear and anxiety in the 80s. I started doing scenarios all the time. When that incident happened, every single class after that, it, uh, it, we would say, we would look at something. It could have been a movie. It could have been in the news. It could have been uh, uh, you know, an eyewitness event. Hey, this happened to me. What would I do? I would never just say, well, here's how to get over a headlock. It would include the walk-in, the encroachment, the verbal assault. And we started doing once a month. It was like Fight Club before there was Fight Club. We yeah. would get together and we would put on... You know, in 1993, I, it took me five years to do, but I created a suit called High Gear, which is a head to toe. You know, it's a 10 pound scenario training suit that we sell all over the world right now. Military law enforcement, uh, uh, MMA guys, but it's mostly for self-defense. But before then, before I had gear, uh, we put on like, again, I'm from Canada, hockey gauntlets, uh, you know, cage, helmet taekwondo chess guard baseball yeah. shin cards and we'd suit up and beat the shit out of each other but we wouldn't do but we, and we'd videotape on vhs you know like most most of your listeners are gonna have to google what is vhs right um but but the um what's interesting is we do these scenarios but it they were always things like if you came in and you had signed up i'd say i'd say peter like what would be your worst case scenario for a violent encounter and you go, I don't know, maybe like two guys mugging me and uh, uh, I'm a little drunk. So I would go and, you know, there's 20 people there and there's, we're sharing equipment and we're doing this. And I go, okay, Peter, you're up. And I've told two role players to come up and harass you. And I might have said to you, Peter, you're at a bar. Uh, you're leaving a bar. You're in a parking lot. You're slightly drunk. And you're going, oh, fuck. He's using that scenario that I'm really worried about. And then I might say to you, okay, spin around, spin around. Okay, stop. And now you're like a little wobbly. And, and these guys come in and go, hey, dude, give us your fucking wallet, man. And you're like, whoa, you're trying. I would make you do a verbal scenario right. for 30 seconds or a minute in advance of any movement. And what that taught you was the totality of a scenario, not just how do I get out of a headlock? Yeah. And it was during that that this started to grow and we would do them every month. I did that for 13 years straight. You know, that's, that's my 10,000 hours of scenarios. Right. And um, the, uh, this is the biggest thing that I learned. There were people that would show up, cauli cauliflower ears, busted nose. They'd be sitting there like, cause they heard, Hey, we're doing these like scenarios. 
And then there'd be like, you know, women that would show up who were victims of sexual assault. Everyone was, everyone was there. Some people were there for how am I going to do? And some people were there for cathartic purposes. Mm. If I said to you, we're sitting on the sidelines, you and I are both, you know, you know, fit athletes. We're, we're macho type A guys. We're entrepreneurs. And we're looking here and I go, let's bet on some people. That guy there with that scar there, broken nose, cauliflower ear. How's he going to do? Yeah, I think he's going to do good. That little girl there, that 120 pound girl, I think she's going to panic. She's going to freak. Well, I saw, I saw the, the counterintuitive reactions because we judge books by cover. Even though people say don't, we look at that bigger guy, the stronger guy that looks like he's got that experience, but the guy who's had 200 fights at a door because he's a doorman has maybe never been ambushed or has never been mugged. He's the guy starting the fight because he's watching some drunk asshole for an hour and then goes, I'm going to prepared for it. He was exactly, exactly. And, um, but I've seen, I've seen both audiences and I you know I gave you two stereotypical audiences and what I just dis- what I discovered in the 80s and remember my fascination with fear is the people who managed their fear managed to fight I'll say that again because it's a very important line for everybody to memorize the people who managed their fear managed to fight and now I'm going to change the tense and say it to everybody those who manage their fear manage to fight. Mm. Now, it doesn't guarantee victory, but I will tell you this. In a choiceless choice where the fight's going to happen, like what we're dealing with now, with, with, with COVID, with pandemic, would force this, the people who fight, the people who manage their fear will manage to fight. And it doesn't mean that we, that, we, that we win, but what it means is our dignity, our pride, our self-esteem, our confidence, our resiliency – all continues like a muscle. It continues to be trained. Yeah. Right. And so I would see people who had tons of experience and lots of fight experience roll over and tap out in a scenario where I go, wow, I didn't expect that. Yeah. And what it was, it was they were overwhelmed by the fear because on game day, you're not going to be a different athlete. Your skill set doesn't change on game day. Everything is controlled by your mindset. Right. Mm. Fascinating. And, and, and from that, from that kind of the, the stuff you were doing there, did that, is that what became spear or? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for spear actually kind of, uh, I kind of started to observe the startle flinch response doing a drill. It was around 1987. I was doing a drill that I aptly coined the sucker punch drill. And I, I would have, uh, my students just wearing boxing gloves and one guy only had a mouth guard on. I did it the first time with a student who was a good boxer. And I, I was always trying to hyper analyze, surgically analyze mo- moments. I was very, very uh, um, introspective with stuff. And I, I kind of listened to my intuition a lot. And I was doing this, this isolation exercise, trying to see how close is too close. Right. Cause yep. as a, you like boxing. If I walked up to you in the street, right? And I went, Hey man, you got a problem with me? You would naturally blade and go, Hey dude, that's close enough. But you would pause at the distance where yeah. you could fire, you could fire your punch. If you're, yeah. a, if you're a kicker, you'd go, Hey man, I'm in trouble. And you would naturally 
stop where you could whap, get that yeah. get that kick up and do something. And if you're a grappler, you might pause and square off because you're getting ready to shoot under. Yeah. And this is what I'm talking about. Like our motor patterns have been unconsciously biased by the way we practice. I'm going to throw something out here, and this might be a little too esoteric. That I don't mean that as an insult. You'll get this, but people who've never trained will go, what's he talking about? If you're if you have an unconscious bias to do certain moves, that compromises your true situational awareness because part of your brain is trying to look for the pre-contact cue to trigger the counter you like to do. Yes. Yeah. 100%. Right. So you get that as a, you're going, Oh, I'm going to draw his jab here and then I'm going to come over the top or I'll step outside and hit him to the body. And, but what you're doing is you're anticipating the future. Fakes and faints is anticipating the future. Wondering Okay, I see he's getting tired here. He's mouth breathing here. And we start to read that stuff, right? So it's it's a very fascinating thing, but that get that gets a little nerdy and geeky. You got to really be into 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 the 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 coaching or strategizing size of that. But yeah. um yeah, so the spear really became something I started studying. And of course it wasn't called spear, and I just actually posted ironically this week uh to really cool anecdotal stories of where did the acronym come from and where did the actual name come from? I didn't start off one day going, I'm going to come up with the spear system. And 20 years later, it'll be a famous self-defense protocol. Like I I was doing this isolation drill. I said to this kid, Warren, who's a really good boxer. I said, Warren, put on those 16 ounce gloves and start a conversation with me. And at any point during the conversation, just try and punch me in the face. And I said, I don't want you to be in a fighting stance. I want you just standing in front of me, you know, like this. Just stand there and move around. And uh, I was videotaping it, and I was trying to figure out what is too close, how close is too close. Well, um, I wish I had taken a picture. We didn't have digital phones back in 1987. But my face at the end of this first hour, I had uh, a mouse under both eyes, bleeding from the lips, fat lip, my <laughs> migraine. I was so stunned, Peter. I, I got the shit punched out of me. What I was, and this is a fascinating thing for anybody's inter- in, like really listening to the science of this, even though I was standing here like this and, and um, uh, Warren would say something like, Hey, the boss wants his money. Right. He was just like improvise something. So I'd go, I wouldn't go, well, tell the boss that uh, I don't have it yet. I need another week. I wouldn't hit a, a stance. I, I immediately, what I did is, is when he said that I knew, okay, the scenario is he's the strong arm of a loan shark that I owe money to. And everyone listening to this, you got to understand this in real life. You're not your black belt. When you're leaving the ATM in real life, you're not a jujitsu guy when you're watching a movie and something erupts, right? You know, you get out of your car and you're, you're, you're late for a meeting and you close the car door and, and you're going, yeah, I'll be there late. And a guy suddenly jumps out of nowhere. You're not a tie boxer right there. You're, you're going, what the fuck? There's a moment where your emotional psychological system goes, holy shit, I call it the jack in the box moment. And you remember jack in the box. You could stand in front of the jack in the box with your fingers like this. No, you know the clown's going to pop. But there's no way you will intercept it and finger jab the clown's eye before it pops out because action's faster than reaction. The clown will, so even though you know it's going to happen, so you can say 
well, I would do this and I would do that. But the truth of the matter, and this is why like our scenario courses that we do for military and law enforcement, we call them evidence-based scenario training. Mm. Because you can look at CCTV and you could look at eyewitness shit from all the phones. Nobody's taking action. They're just filming violence. And you never see anyone looking cool in a fight. Everyone looks messy. Everyone looks like they're a beginner. Even if you analyze like trained people, they don't look cool during real violent encounters. So it it reminds me, have you ever, uh, so if if you take two, let's, let's say white collar boxes and you train them for, let's say three months for a fight and you teach them every technique, every, every, every combination, every, every piece of footwork that you know, and they look perfect. They look perfect before they fight. They look perfect in sparring. The bell goes on game day and it turns into a fight. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. Every time. <laughs> and, 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 and that's a great example of, of you, you can't fake experience. Yeah, 100%. You know, so the, you know, what, what we were doing in the 80s with the spear and everything. So the scenario, I've been doing scenarios for seven years. But what was happening is I was creating in everybody the experience of like the data banks of this is what it looks like when somebody lunges in to grab you. Mm. Here's what happens when you throw a sucker punch. We would do like how to intercept a punch where, you know, when you're working in a boxing club, as an example, people have good stances because they're being coached. And so the brain is recording good stances. Now you're in the street and I go, what are you talking about, man? And I throw a punch from the table, your brain only knows what to do when it gets here. Yeah. That's where it's going to slip or parry. Mm. But if I make you, if I go, what did you say? And I throw the punch from here. Your brain just doesn't pick up on the elliptical angle of the trajectory of that shot. It just doesn't go. I know what to do here. Your brain's going, what the fuck was that? That's the Jack in the box moment. There's an emotional. And you know, uh, I can go on and on and on, but this, this is, this all ties back to that 1980 epiphany, fancy word for my light bulb moment of, Oh my God, we teach self-defense wrong. And every one of my students, even to this day, if we're, if we're learning how to defend it from a headlock, we're spending more time learning how to read the headlock and intercept the headlock. Hmm. So we're doing the whole gamut. Because I'm never saying, well, you'll never be in a headlock or you'll never be mounted or the guy will never throw a good punch. But what we're looking at is what's what's probable, not what's possible, because everything's possible. But I can look at statistically, I can look at evidence based. Mm. And that's what we would do. Uh, we created a protocol that's now taught uh, in I mean, at the Federal Law Enforcement Training Center, they teach this protocol, which I, I brought to them in the early 90s. You know, it was how to reverse engineer training based on studying like like dashboard video and CCTV, where instead of you practicing your martial art move, you're going to study the bad guy and you're going to identify the pre-contact cues and measure and compare and contrast that against your preparation. Yeah, that's great. Hey, hey, just so, so people at home know, what does SPEAR stand for? It's Spontaneous Protection enabling accelerated response spontaneous protection refers to our body's innate startle flinch so our every one of us is wired with a startle flinch you know unless you have some sort of brain injury where you don't respond to like a like a a sudden stimulus that that like a dangerous 
uh, auditory or visual stimulus. So you could be somewhere and someone goes, look out, you're at a golf course and someone yells, look out, you know, your hands come up to cover your head, right? Um, you, you see all these, those uh, 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 jokes on online where people are throwing people at people or there's one guy, you know, with a baseball glove and a crowd going, look out, look out everybody. And, you know, and he's, there's no ball. He's like in the middle of the street going, whoa, whoa, whoa. And he's doing that. And they see glove ball and they start doing this. Right. So our, our body, our body is born with this startle flinch cross extensor reflex. And I've assigned it the, 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 uh, and it's so fascinating, this metaphoric air, airbag concept that it's the body's organic airbag that if I throw something at you and you think it's going to hit you, you know, if I picked up, you know, something here and I whip it at you and you think it's coming in, you do this really quick. Mm. Everybody does that. So here's an interesting thing. If I have 10 martial artists sitting at a table in front of me and one guy's Chi Koshin Kai really hard, this guy's Shotokan, this guy's Tai Chi, this guy's Praying Mantis, this guy's Wing Chun, this guy's, you know, Ji uh, Kune Do, this guy's a boxer. And they're all sitting there like this, listening to me talk. This is a great visual. They all have this muscle memory that doesn't yeah. exist, right? Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, I go like this and I go, hey, get your fucking hands. All of them will go, whoa. All of them will, gun. If I picked up a bowling ball and I fucking whipped it at everybody, right? But it was a, it was a, 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 like a kid's ball that was painted to look like a bowling ball so they think it's real. What would every single one of these guys do? They would all go, fuck. <laughs> so I love, I love sharing that. Because when a stimulus is introduced too quickly, your reactive brain, the limbic system, the amygdala, hijacks your executive function. Executive function is, what would you do if a guy pulled a gun? Well, if I'm standing here, I'll grab the gun here, I'll redirect it here, I'll do this Jackie Chan disarm, and then I'll, you know, I'm back in the fight. Oh, yeah. if I'm Chuck Norris, i got kicking jeans on, I'm going to do a, you know, I'm going to do a fucking crescent kick. I'm gonna, like everyone has a theoretical idea of what they do. What I've done with the spear system, which is weaponizing the startle flinch, is studied the relationship between fear, aggression, danger, and sudden movement, and how it makes this happen in the body, right? And this is the fastest thing you could do. Uh, if you, you talk to a buddy who's a cop, a firefighter, EMS, and you ask them in, a, in any accident where someone wasn't wearing their seatbelt, where is there always trauma? And they will tell you all the time, hands and forearms. When somebody goes through a windshield, they go through like this. And so think about how freaking fast you need to be. Your car hits another car or a tree or, and you go through a windshield that before your head hits, your hands get up in the way. So we figured out a way to weaponize the startle flinch. And that was this research starting back in, in 1987. Doesn't matter your gender. Doesn't matter your experience. It just happens. Now, somebody who, trains in jiu-jitsu, somebody who trains in boxing, somebody who trains in martial art and they're good at it, they can use the spear system like an airbag deploying as a bridge to the next move Mm. in the arsenal that they've earned through their hard practice. And and how long does it take to teach the spear system? A day. A day? Yeah. So let me answer that two ways. Yeah. I mean, you always get better at it, right? But yeah. Yeah. Well, but here's the thing. 
I can't teach somebody how to box in a day. I can't teach somebody jujitsu in a day. I can't teach somebody Taekwondo in a day, but I can teach somebody how to weaponize the startle flinch in a day because they already have the startle flinch wired in them. So this is, this is actually very controversial because the, if you've been training, this is actually a, a, a fantastic conversation and, and what a great question, but it's also very controversial. We all have an unconscious bias. We all, all of us have, you know, we believe in things and that becomes our narrative and that's how we get into arguments. So we've never seen it, you know, more amplified than, than this last year yeah. as far as, as far as unconscious bias. For sure. It really exists in the martial art world too, almost at a religious level as well. You know, like arguing, you know, you know, you see a violent encounter and someone goes, that's why I do Krav. That's why I do jujitsu. That's why I do. That's why I carry a gun. Right. And, and so what I'm about to say is, is very provocative, but remember I've been doing this for 43 years and my clients, my main clients are military law enforcement right? And other public safety professionals. And I've always taught the general public on the side, but my main business since 1993, 27 years straight is teaching people who actually really get into violent encounters. Hmm. And so I've created from there a, a scientific approach to scenario-based training, uh, an approach to, to uh, adaptive courage and mindset and understanding the psychology of fear by respecting the physiology of fear, very different. Um, figured out a way to weaponize the startle flinch through classical conditioning, understanding that if this motion is going to happen, whether you train with me or not, whether you're trained or not, then this becomes the first immediate action that represents a protective opportunity. Right. Right. So it deploys like an airbag. So think about how genius an airbag is in a car. You're texting, you're drunk, you're, you're driving well, and somebody runs into you. The car's computer deploys the airbag. Imagine, and we know that airbags save lives. What would happen tonight if I could turn off every airbag in every car around the world? What would happen to mortality rates tomorrow in car accidents? Skyrocket. But what would also happen if I suddenly disconnected the computer and I told everybody, in the next accident, which is going to be a surprise to you, you need to push a button on your dashboard. It's Don't worry about it. It's right beside the air conditioner button, just to the right there. No, not that button, this button here. Push that button to deploy the airbag, and then you'll be fine, maybe. In an accident, could you imagine that? So right. think about it. This is what happens when I say to you, watch this. Peter, guy grabs you by the shirt, slams you against the wall. What are you going to, what do you want to do? You want to do body shot, left hook to the body. You want to do an uppercut. You want to do a right hook. What's your move? I, honestly, headbutt. <laughs> headbutt. Okay. So, but did you think about any other shots or you're going to headbutt right away? And that's because you're from Europe. So, you know, to headbutt. <laughs> Americans, Americans wouldn't think the headbutt first, right? My UK and Scottish guys know that, but yeah. Um, would you think about the body shot? I mean, a lot of it also would be. Yeah, I guess proximity? if it was that close, then yeah, I would, I would think about a body shot. Right. Well, again, if he's like this going, hey, motherfucker, and he pulled you in here, yeah. you're going, right? Um, so here's the thing. 
in the moment, if you were tr- truly surprised, if you bumped into somebody at a bar, you know, you're carrying a drink and, and you're here, you, you bump into Bob, boom, and he, and, he, and he turns on you and goes, hey, motherfucker, and grabs you. Like my student, Mitch, in 1980, your first response isn't headbutt, body shot. It's like, whoa, and you flinch. And if you have nothing in your hands, if you have something in your hands, remember, you, like, you're, oh, fuck, like I'm holding my phone tighter and my, and my beer bottle tighter. So this is all physiology. So when people study with me, we've got over 200 affiliates around the world. They're all experienced martial artists. They just realize I've got all these tools. It's almost like you're like, like somebody who's a serious martial artist. They're almost like a, like a carpenter with tons of tools, but they don't, nobody's giving them a blueprint for this type of, of architecture. I don't understand. And so it's it's a uh, it's a fascinating thing, and I, I, I kind of want to dig a little bit deeper in this 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 contention that I can teach it in a day. What I'm teaching here is by by lining up the fear management elements of indignation. How can we tap into our aggression? Jack in the box stuff. How do we handle the surprise? Suddenly, you realize like like this is a system that insulates you. Like in the car example, you could be a good driver. It's an asshole who's drunk or texting or speeding somewhere that loses control that causes the accident. The good driver doesn't cause the accident. So if you're a good martial artist or you're untrained, you're minding your own business. You're trying to get through today, trying to bring some you know money home for your family to pay your rent and put some food on the table and do this stuff. And then something happens. Mm. The first place you're going to get hit is the emotional psychological aspect of denial where your brain goes no fucking way what you'll say whatever you want but that's a metaphor you're going holy shit here we go right even train people if they're truly surprised so what we discovered is when a stimulus gets introduced too quickly the body has this protective response to protect the head the command center it'll either cover the head Mm. and or push away danger push away danger depending on the proximity so this is where spear came from spontaneous protection is the startle flinch accelerated response is i'm not teaching people a complex motor skill so when i asked you what you would do what you're doing is you're visualizing in the back of your mind in your memory bank headbutt here maybe a body shot here but all of that takes time to download mm. in a sudden violent account. And it works in most scenarios if you've got experience doing it. But what, we, what, what we've done is we've figured out a way through what I call just a performance enhancement metacognition concept is that if you grab me and I flinch and my hands come up and they end up you know, going like Bob grabs me and I go, oh, Bob, shit, you scared me. Instead of me thinking, oh, I like the headbutt. Oh, I like the knee. Oh, I'm going to take the guy down and do this. I look at where did my hands go Mm. and what is the closest weapon to the most available target? And then I move from there. So I might, going back here, where I walk by and this guy grabs me and spins me and I go, whoa, if I decide, if I decide, shit, I need, I'm going to, first thing I can do is morally and ethically and legally try to defuse it. But if it looks like it's going to escalate, I'm going to then move from here where my hands are up. And this is the beautiful thing about this is when somebody grabs you and you let that startle flinch happen, it's it's a Trojan horse because the body language doesn't look like you know anything about fighting. Mm. 
Mm. This is the beautiful thing about, again, the optics, the optics these days, whether people are filming it, is it's you're morally, ethically, legally trying to diffuse. If push comes to shove, you are in the the most advantageous stance possible because it doesn't look like a stance. We, in fact, call them nonviolent postures. Mm. Right. So they're closer to weapon, closer to target deploys. That would be an index palm or finger jab or an elbow, whatever it is. But what we're doing and why we can teach people in a day is we're teaching them how to move. So if I take somebody who's done 10,000 push-ups with you and they're here like this and we do a thing where somebody's grabbed this female by the throat and he's pinned her against the wall and he's threatening her, I'm going to say, I want you to feign fear and feign compliance like that fight I had when I was 13. Mm. Right? Yeah. Okay, you're scaring me. I'll do whatever you want. That person's aggression changes, their whole changes because now they're moving to the next stage. And then I'm going to tell them, I want you to do the the hardest rep of a wall ball you could possibly do. I want you to do the most explosive burpee into their face. I want you to take all of that 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 sphere and anger and all of your reps mm. doing push-ups. And I want you from here to go bam, right? And blast that person up under the jawline. And I'm giving them shit that a, 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 a traditional martial artist, a classical traditional martial artist will go, that's a shitty palm strike. That's not mm-hmm. technical. But you don't need to be technical in self-defense. You need to be tactical. That's a subtle mm-hmm. distinction. Don't be technical, be tactical. And, and tell me, you, I know you talked about, you know, you taught a lot of this stuff to the military and, 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 and the police force and so forth, but you're doing this for everybody, right? Every civilian, every, all walks of life, male, female, yeah. teenagers, whatever. This, anybody can do this stuff. We, we have, we have um, uh, several divisions in, our, in, our, in my company. One, we've got a law enforcement military training division. Mm. We've got another division that educates professional self-defense instructors and martial artists. Because there's a lot of conscientious professionals out there that go, yeah, I don't really do scenarios. I'm really good at jiu-jitsu. I'm really good at boxing. I'm really good at my martial art. But I don't know how to do scenarios properly. And then we have another uh, division that teaches the general public. So citizens of almost any age, obviously there's a, you know, there's a limit to how young you could start and how old yeah, yeah, you can yeah. go. And, and then we have, of course, we do a lot of stuff online now, uh, which is uh, a byproduct of, of everything that went on. That was, a, that was a fun pivot to develop online content. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we've all, we've all had to do that. Yeah, sure. exactly. But, um, so we've got the spear thing, which is the one day course. And then the, the be your own bodyguard thing, was that an extension of that or is that something? Yeah. So, so, so spear, spear is actually the umbrella of everything I do. Right. So spontaneous protection, enabling accelerated response. It's, it's taught in be your own bodyguard. It's taught in our, mm. we've got a two hour online course called essentials to personal safety. We teach the elements of that. Look, I've had people, I've had people um, read an article in a martial art magazine and then use my system. Right. Like, cause you read something, you go, holy shit, I never thought about that. And then, and then you're, you're doing it right. You get your hand out, finger splayed outside 90. This is the strongest uh, place your body, your body can be. It's not out here and it's not in here. Your body would naturally figure it out. So, so again, why I, I tell people we can do this in a day is cause I'm, I'm using, if I teach somebody to need somebody, right. I'm, I'm teaching them. If you can put your foot up on a chair and tie your shoe, 
you've got the range of motion coordination to knee somebody in the nuts or the stomach or the face, right? So we're using patterns that they've been doing their whole life. In the de-escalation, we're doing that. So be your own bodyguard is be your own bodyguard is the one day course that we do. But what's what they're taught, everything in it is based on all the spear research from the 80s. Got it. So Got it. every course is a spear course, but we've named them differently. Like if I'm marketing spear, people are like, what is that? Right. Uh, be your own bodyguard. Uh, you know, I actually coined that in, in the late eighties where I, I told, uh, when I was doing seminars, I would tell people like VIPs have bodyguards and they go, yeah, I go, well, you know, so you're not a VIP and they go, what? I go like, who's your bodyguard? They're like, oh, I guess we're, we're our own bodyguard. There's this metaphor of like, who's your bodyguard? Who's going to take care of you? Um, so Beer and Bodyguard has been around a long time. That's the one day course. And, and what I did with that one is I thought like, if you called me up and said, I got a really good friend who's, who's taken off for Europe soon and, and they're, they're going backpacking alone and they know nothing about self-defense, you know, and I trust you, you know, could you teach them? And I go, yeah, like how many days can I train them? And they go, oh, well, they're leaving in two days. So tomorrow, like that's literally, that was literally the challenge. If I had one day and the reason I did it, listen, this is just an opportunity. And, and, and because, you know, you, you understand the fight game, most of the general public and most people don't want to get in a ring like you did and get punched in the face. Most people don't want to spar. Most people don't want to go to a jiu-jitsu school. Most of the world just wants to go through their day, right? Like, do you know anyone that buys a first aid kit and hopes that some accident happens so that they can use it? Do you know anyone that buys a, a fire extinguisher and goes, so excited I got this fire extinguisher. <laughs> I hope the house catches on fire tonight so right. I can use this, right? So most people who need self-defense will never practice martial arts. Mm. So the Be Your Own Bodyguard was a solution. And, it, and, I, and I tell people this, I designed it with the efficiency of a tactical first aid course. You can take a tactical first aid course in four to six hours, learn how to put on a tourniquet, learn how to stop bleeding, learn how to do mouth to mouth CPR, and you've got life-saving skills, but you're not a fucking doctor. Yeah. But you've got sure. life-saving skills. So I tell people when you do our be your own bodyguard course, you can't jump in an octagon. You can't jump in the ring. And I tell them, look, what you have are skills to buy time to create yeah. space to get the fucking safety, but you're not a martial artist. Yeah. For some reason, when I launched the Be Your Own Bodyguard, um, I had a lot of martial artists attacking me and calling, you know, I'm just in it for the money and this and that, not ever doing any research going, dude, I've been doing this one day course since the eighties. And I, and for most of these guys saying this, this is bullshit. I, I tell them I've been teaching self-defense longer than you've been alive. Right. Yeah. So well, it's Instagram specialists, you know, yeah. know everything. Well, but, it, but it's a fair question. Cause listen, if yeah. you're, if you're, if you're a blue belt in jujitsu yeah. and you're training, you get tapped out every week. And if somebody says to you and you don't know who I am and what I'm about and the science and the research and the scenario, the trials and tribulations, and, and that I actually built the system because a student of mine lost the fight. Yeah. And I, 
that that bothered me more right. than it bothered him. I took that personally, and I sought out to solve the problem. And so, but if you ask that blue belt who doesn't know the history and science about this, and let's say let's say you know you you go up to this person, you hear about this one day course, and you have zero interest in jujitsu, but I I trust you. I go, hey man. I saw this ad for this one day bodyguard something course. I don't know what it is, but can you learn self-defense in a day? If you ask that to any martial artist, their answer will be, of course not. It's bullshit. If I asked a doctor, and here's my metaphor. If I asked a, a doctor who spent 10 years studying medicine, seven years in school, working two jobs. Hey, can, can I learn practical medicine and life-saving procedures in a day, their immediate knee-jerk answer is like, no, like you got to go to, you, you got to, are you kidding? You got to work on a cadaver. You got to do this. You got to, you got to do into residency. No, but I asked the question wrong, right? So, you know, you ask an EMS or a firefighter, can I learn some life-saving skills in a day? They're going to go, yeah, every month I teach this here, sign up for this course. Yeah. And they will never make fun of you for doing it, right? So it's an interesting thing when you talk about the Instagram, Facebook experts. If, <laughs> There's listen, a lot of them. There's listen, of them. <laughs> listen, I, um, I made a one-day course that people have used for decades. If they said to me, is this all I need to know about self-defense? I'd say, of course not. But this is enough for you to detect and avoid mm to improve your situational awareness. It's enough for you to understand some verbal skills. And if push comes to shove, it's enough for you to use your, your body's natural uh, movement patterns and instincts. And we've had people use this shit. Yeah. You know, uh, so it works. I just, I just wish there was a way better than like most martial artists aren't going to listen to this 45 minute explanation of what's the difference between a one day course and a two day course or a two year course or a 20 year course. Right. You know? Right. So do you do any, um, like other follow-up courses you can do once you've done the first one or. Yeah, uh, 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 for sure. So I've got, I've got over 200 affiliates around the world, you know, uh, so there are people who have Krav Maga schools and MMA schools and mm. boxing schools that teach my system, Got you know, mm. uh, and cause they recognize, yeah, I'm, you know, we had a, a couple of guys who are, uh, um, they run MMA gyms, like they're competitive MMA gyms. They saw me teaching at a seminar, but their, their personal integrity, they came up to me after they said, you know, a lot of the people that train with us think that they could use the tie and the MMA and the boxing for self-defense. And I realized in listening to you that like, like that's not self-defense. We don't teach people how to fight. We teach people how to think so they don't have to fight. Mm -hmm. It's the bad guy that's going to force you to fight. Yeah. If you don't know how to avoid it and you don't know how to deescalate mm -hmm. it, the bad guy forces it or your ego or your fear forces it. So in a moral, ethical, legal scenario, what these guys realize is they didn't understand how to teach self-defense from a scenario perspective. So we've got a lot of people that teach it ongoing. So if somebody comes yeah. to me for the one-day course uh, and, they, and they want more, there are resources out there. And then, of course, what we started 
and it's and it's 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 way more exciting and fun than I ever imagined. If you had told me a year ago that I would start a garage gym program, be teaching group classes out of my class, out of my gym on Zoom, I'd have said that's not happening, Peter. Yeah. You know? But I will tell you this: at the height of my school's popularity in the early '90s, I never had more than eighty or ninety people signed up. And most of the time, you did have 20, 30 people in a group class, but it was always 80 or 90 people. And I loved it. I loved teaching classes. I loved being forced to be in shape and being able to be ready to demo and teach. And when I closed my school in 1993, because I went on, I started only doing scenarios for uh, a scenario training, scenario-based training for law enforcement military. And I did that since 1993. I stopped doing group classes. When the lockdown happened, I canceled 15 classes in, 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 in March when they extended the lockdown. I had to cancel 15 classes. That represented hundreds of thousands of dollars in revenue. And there was a day that I was sitting there. I went, yeah, that's not going to work. And, and I realized I could lose my whole business, my house, yeah. my ability. And uh, a buddy of mine jokingly said to me, he said, aren't you kind of like a famous self-defense guy? And I said, yeah, sort of. He goes, well, why don't you teach like Zoom out of your garage? Mm. And I was like, fuck. It hadn't even occurred to me because I haven't taught a group class since 1993. Remember, it's very different. I, I, there were years I was on the road where I did 260 days on the road doing seminars. But doing a seminar on the road for 50 people or 100 people or 20 people, you're not creating community. You're not creating a, a, a connection. Yeah, you stay in touch with the host and yeah, a couple yeah. of people. You hit it off. High five. Mm. But you, you, you're not really, there's no community when you're doing, you know, I'm in Venezuela one day and next week I'm in Texas and then I'm flying to, to England. Right. Yeah, and I tell you, I mean, it's, it's been the same for us. Like we have members of our community now that we would never have had if, if, you know, right. Hadn't happened and we hadn't built this online content and, you know, it's something we're going to improve and, and keep working on and, and it's going to allow us to grow our community beyond, you know, what we ever thought was maybe possible. So, you know, like with all these things, finding positive from these negative situations is always like what you know what entrepreneurs do, right? We have to find we have right. to find ways to make it work. So, you know, hopefully it will will work and our benefit eventually. Well, but it, I mean, what you just said there about what you did and how you pivoted and how you created an online community that that goes back to that observation I made in the eighties. The, the the people who manage their fear manage to fight. Mm. You know, people that have completely closed their business and given yeah. up. They're yeah. in a state of depression. But you said, no, I'm going to manage my fear and I'm going to fight. Even if you didn't use the word fear, you just, it was an obstacle. And there are days when you're, where you're going, you're putting your head down, you're going, oh my God, how am I going to handle this? Or how are we getting through this week mm -hmm. or, or whatever? And then you, but if you manage your fear, and this is another thing about fear management, you know, like if you look at my shirt, right? No fear. That, that t-shirt company, I used to have every one of their t-shirts, but it doesn't exist, right? If you're... Here's an interesting thought, and, and I, I teach it to everybody who goes through a course. You can't be brave if you're not afraid. I'll say that again. Listen to it deeply. You can't be brave if you're not afraid. Mm. If you're doing stuff and you have zero fear, there's zero courage required, mm. right? If I, if I look at – I got friends that jump out of airplanes that do base jumping, and if I, I, some of them – I go, are you afraid? They go, fuck no. You know, they're like adrenaline junkies. Mm. I go, well, then that doesn't require any courage. And I've got other friends who are really skilled who I go, are you afraid to jump? They go, fuck yeah. 
fuck, I'm so afraid. That's why my preparation is immaculate. Yeah. That's why yeah. I, train, I do that. And they yeah. can recognize it. And for some people, it might be semantics. But this is a big thing in a macho community like martial arts, type A's, no fear. I used to have every shirt. And because I want, and I would make the joke, no matter how many no fear t-shirts I bought, I was still afraid. Yeah. <laughs> and it was, how do you manage your fear? And yeah. so, you know, that was the whole thing with like, with the, with the garage gym was amazing. I've got over 150 people who train with me every week. The garage gym is almost twice as big as my gym was in, in the eighties. And I've got my community back. Yeah. I get on, I log on at nine o'clock in the morning and there's already 20 people on talking about their haircut and what they did this weekend. And they're, and they're all over the world in different time zones. And it blows my mind. And I sit there and I smile and everyone, it's like cheers. If you remember the old. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Right. Tony, what what, what kind of training are you doing in your garage gym? So is it's all my self-defense. It's all, all the principles of spear, beer and bodyguard. Um, you know, we've got people drop 20, 30 pounds. We're not doing jumping jacks. We're not doing everything is tactical. And so right. it's true. Like most people could never, you know, like I said earlier, I'm like I'm 60 years old right now. If you didn't know me in the eighties or if you didn't get to a seminar, there's a good chance you're not going to train with me. And if you had interest in doing that, the garage gym is the only way, especially like I got people in Australia and Spain and Germany logging on at different, different, different times. And, and of course, you know, we record them. So a lot of people can't do it live. Yeah. But you know, like how, what are you going to move to Southern California to train with me? Now you have a chance to pick my brain to learn the system. And some of the drills we're coming up with, it's amazing how I almost like, and I can't believe I, I said this last week and I'll repeat it on your show there are parts of teaching in zoom that I like better than when I teach live. Yes. I miss the connection, but I'm so much more focused and so much more um, uh, uh, committed to the lesson plan that I designed where when I'm teaching live, I get distracted by body language and movements where I might stop and I go, everyone stop, Peter, do that again. Everyone look at this. And now the class takes on this new direction and goes this way. With Zoom, you know, if I've got 30 people on there, they're all like this big, right? They're one inch big. So we do gallery view back and forth and stuff like that. But for the most part, I planned a lesson and I'm teaching. We do lessons on mindset, on fear, on situational awareness, on on movement patterns, on tactical fitness, the way we do our, our, our what I call them combat calisthenics. Everything we do, I go, this move. Combat calisthenics. I love that. Yeah. Combat calisthenics. Yeah. Yeah, it's so so so. What's interesting when I started it, how I started it, when when my my buddy gave me that idea, I just wrote an email out to my list. I said, "Hey, how many of you would be interested in training with me?" You know, in a garage gym, we had a hundred people say, "I'll do it." Yeah. So like, I went from like nothing to, and and those hundred people saved my company. That's and, great. Um, uh, so we've been doing them nonstop. We're on class 135 in a row. The, today's class was was yesterday's class was 135 in a row. Right. And um, uh, the, I wanted to say one other thing about that. The, uh, uh, I forgot what it was, but it was, it was, it's almost like the fountain of youth for me, Peter. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, my classes are supposed to be 45 minutes with Q and a, they're all two hours long. Right. And what I tell you people, like, it's, it's, it's my canvas. It's re 
I, I didn't realize until I started doing it that when I was 15 years old, my mom said to me, what are you going to be when you're older? Fireman, police officer, you're going to go into uh, the family business. And I was sitting on the floor, stretching, trying to get the splits, looking at Bruce Lee magazines. And I looked at her and I said, mom, school is not going to be that important for me. And she goes, she's like, why? I said, I'm going to be a famous martial artist like Bruce Lee and develop my own self-defense system. Right. Like that was my dream. Yeah. Right. When I was 15. And so when I opened up and I started teaching in 1980, um, I, I was fulfilling a childhood dream and I did that for 13 years and my career went off here. I didn't realize how that killed a part of me when I stopped teaching regular group classes. And now I have that back. And I literally, if, if you were on one of my, any of my calls, there's at the end, I'm going, any more questions, any more questions? I go, guys, if you don't ask me questions, I got to go back and do emails and, and have meetings. Right. And so the one hour class is now a two hour class. Amazing. Amazing. Craziness. So we got the um, we got the one day seminar. We got the the two hour no fear seminar, which is a, an online seminar that people can log on to at any any. It, how many of them do you do a week? So, so can, it's a, so it's, a we, it's a course you can just buy at any time. Yeah. So yeah. so a lot of people are really interested not in the self defense part, but they're in they're interested in more the holistic self defense. So mm. we created a digital version of my no fear presentation right. that that you 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 buy it and then you just you, you watch just it use it. Listen, What's that? You can just yeah. watch that anytime. Yeah, I mean, like, like, it's got nothing to do with physical self defense. It's all and listen. I tell people like, fear throttles everything we do. Who you talk to, therefore who you marry, how much weight you lift, whether or not you defend yourself. You know what you're going to do during the pandemic. Again, you can't solve the problem if you become the problem, and all right. of that is understanding, creating this self awareness. So all the courses we have, EOPS, Essentials of Personal Safety, is a two hour live course we do once a month. We've got Be Your Own Bodyguard, which is kind of like dormant right now because of all the lockdowns, because that's a, that's an in-person course. Uh, yeah. We've got the No Fear course, which is digital, and then the Garage Gym, which is live every week. We run those. We run four class four classes a week, and if you can't make the live class, every class is recorded and then uploaded to uh, a vault on on online, and you could you could you know go through any of the classes, and each week is a different theme. Awesome. So, and these are all on your website, Tony? What is your website? Yeah. yeah. Our, uh, our main website, if you want, our main website is Blower Training Systems. And that gets you access to like everything we do. Because we do right. corporate, we do coaching, we do all sorts of stuff. And then our, our tactical, our practical tactical website is Blower Spear. My last name in the word Spear, B-L-A-U-E-R, Spear. And I'll send you all those links. You can call. Cool. Um, yeah, we'll put those on the, on the podcast, guys. So you can... Uh... You can uh, get the links to those, and um, it's funny. One one of the favorite, one of my favorite words you've been using today is de-escalation, because it's right. amazing to me. Like to me and you, like de-escalating situations is like natural to us. But it's amazing how many people now, like online or even in person, like just always want to escalate, escalate, escalate situations and make things more and more volatile, rather than like just dealing with things in a. Oh, yeah. that's, that's one of the dangers of, of being behind a computer. Yeah. People, it's, people say and do things they would never say to somebody's face. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's a weird time. It's a weird yeah, time. It's a weird time. Uh, listen, Tony, thank you so much for taking the time, brother. It's, it's, I, I find all this stuff fascinating. I find you fascinating. And, and, and uh, you know, I look forward to learning more from you. Um, we're going to be doing, you know, more of this stuff at Ferros, you know, when we can reopen Ferros for real next year. And, um, 
I'm definitely going to like hook everybody up with uh, to learn from you and learn more from you. And uh, I'm going to learn more from you myself. So again, thank you so much for taking the time. I know you're a, you're a busy guy. Um, I just wanted to kind of finish off with um, are there three things, any three things, any three tips you could give people out there to in the realm of self-defense that, that might help them in a, in a, in a confrontation or a difficult situation. Sure. Um, I'm going to improvise a little bit, but the first thing is this, if, is, is to memorize this line, no awareness, no chance, no awareness, no chance. Mm. If you don't know what's happening, there's no chance that any move you learned, whether you got a keychain with, with pepper spray on it or some secret move that you, some like, you know, ninja taught you. The bottom line is if you have no awareness, you have no chance. So what is the best way to improve your awareness. So a lot of people talk about head on a swivel. I'm not a big fan of head on a swivel because if you don't have good self-awareness, the fact that you're looking around, you still don't know what you're looking for. So to, to enhance the safety of everyone else, be selfish of just your community, the Pharaoh's community is for a couple of days, it's going to sound weird for a couple of days. I want you to pretend that you are an opportunistic mugger. And you're going to follow yourself in your day and ask yourself, when would I mug me? Mm. This is a weird exercise and it's a little creepy because there's nothing to do other than observe yourself. But no. let's, let's say, you know, you're at an ATM machine and your phone rings as, as you're pulling cash out of the ATM because you live in a bubble, you're going to go, Hey, hold on a sec. Yeah, what? and you have zero situational awareness mm. because you defaulted to the dopamine hit of the ping of yeah. your phone. Yeah. As opposed, so that's just a silly example. And speaking of that, everyone should watch the two videos I've done on ATM safety, right? Because there's so much to learn from there. But, you know, you, you're, again, you get to your car in your parking lot, you know, and what people do, the first thing they do, they get in their car, it's at night. They got there quickly looking like this and then they, they slam their door and they, they sit there for a moment and maybe they lock the door. They're not. And they go like this. I see so many cars at night with faces lit up because people are looking yeah. at their phone. Mm. Right. And it's one of the number one places to get attacked yeah. off the beaten track, gas stations, you know, parking lots and stuff like that. Dude, so, it's crazy. If you have that, that citizen app, the, the, the fucking the carjackings and the, the stuff that's going on right now in LA is, yeah, off the yeah. chart. Off the so, chart. so a lot of it again, you know, this isn't, and I, and I will caution everybody: if you do this exercise, it will improve your your situational awareness because you realize, you know, where I didn't realize this, but when I come into my apartment, my buzzer, when I buzz myself in, it lasts. The buzzer here is thirty seconds long. Anyone can open the door after mm. and sneak it. Like just having that awareness. Where yeah. you don't lead someone into your apartment, and again, this is for some of you listening to this. This is creeping you out, but this is this is the moment where you need the greatest amount of awareness. Because remember what I said in the interview: every victim of violence who lived to tell the tale said they had a bad feeling before the attack. So when you combine that with, okay, I'm walking to my car. I'm going to pause here. Do I hear any footsteps? Am I being followed? Okay, I'm going to get in my car now. I'm going to immediately before I get in my car, I'm going to look in the back. I'm going to lock the doors as soon as I get in. I'm going to get the hell out of my parking spot. I'm not going to check my messages while I'm 
you know, in a parking spot where suddenly somebody breaks my window or distracts me and goes, Hey, I, have you seen my dog? I'm lost. And you're like, what your dog? And they distract you. So number one tip is if you have no awareness, you have no chance. So I just shared a really great mm-hmm. way. That's, uh, that's awesome. to awesome advice, yeah. But remember this folks, you'll, while you're doing this, you may giggle, you may laugh, but you might also feel like a little bit more paranoid. Because if I walked with you through during the day and I said, this is a choke point, this is a dangerous spot, watch out here. Suddenly you're like, oh, fuck, I don't want to go for a walk. I don't want to, I don't want you to change your life. I just want you to be more aware. And it's no different than what you said, Peter. If, if you were a careless, reckless motorcycle driver, and then I said, listen, man, you got to look out for the other guy. You're on a bike. So you see when that light flashes on over here, that's a guy, he just stepped on his parking brake, maybe shifting at the gear. Mm. Does he see you? Are you in his blind spot? What is this? And you're going now for a bit, you're driving really carefully. And then as your brain automates the process, you kind of adapt and that's that adaptation. So that's one big uh, heavy skill. Yeah. Um, the, the, the next thing I, I need to tell people is this. And I tell people, look, no awareness, no chance. So the first thing in making yourself safer is improve your situational awareness. Okay. The next thing is if something is about to happen, you will get a fear spike. There's yeah. no way out of that. There's no, you know, there's no way that you can go, Hey, that guy is following me or that guy's trying to break in my house or that guy is approaching me. There's no way that your proverbial heart doesn't skip a beat and you get a fear mm-hmm. spike, you get adrenaline dump. So the most important thing I could uh, tell you is you need to control your fear and manage fear. It's the psychology of fear, not the physiology or biology of fear. Right. You have to, ex- you have to expect fear. You, fear is going to happen. And then and it's then just about how it. you deal with it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and then the, the reframe there that is big, and I can't get into the whole fear management uh, process right now, is that when you're managing your fear, if you expect this state of no fear, you're in for a rude awakening. Mm. Right? Remember this. So my next tip is you can't be brave if you're not afraid. It's okay to be afraid. It's okay to turn your fear into fuel. Yeah. Your fear is your fuel. That's where you tap into your indignation. And then the last thing is, is that if somebody grabs you and moves on you, your body will flinch and it will bypass executive function and cognitive skills. Even if you got a little bit of training, we've got videos of pro fighters of, of trained people still flinching. Yeah. When you flinch as as a as a Pharos member, whether you're virtual or actual, you're doing movement patterns that are strengthening a quarter extremity movement of a uh, of, of a strike. And so, if I'm over here fighting somebody who's on me, and I go get off me, and I fire my palm, and I smash that 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 that, that bob. Boom, as hard as I can. I'm not doing a technical palm strike. I'm just going, get the fuck off me. Mm. I'm exploding with my indignation from, from the core to extremity movement mm. of, that is a push-up, that is a bench press, that is a handstand push-up, that is a and all of that, that movement here, like that's gonna knock somebody off you. And if they're talking, you're fucking coming with me, and you go slam and you jam both those hands away, what you're doing is you're taking the, this, this hundred thousand, your startle flinch response is a hundred thousand years old. It's older. Quarter extremity is older, but about a hundred thousand years ago is when tribes started fighting each other around the planet. 
So this is a DNA pattern. It's 100,000 years old in you. How many reps do you have, right? <laughs> and so if you explode out of that, imagine I grabbed you and I go, what are you going to do now, Peter? And you go, well, I'm actually going to go quarter extremity with my fucking palms into your jawline as hard as I can while I'm talking. What's going to happen to my teeth, my jaw, right? And, and the last thing, another four here is nobody, nobody expects the good Samaritan to defend themselves. Mm. That's why the predator attacked you. Right. No one attacks somebody thinking they're going to lose a fight. Mm. That's a huge, huge psychological advantage. So you got to navigate the fear. So there's, there's four very serious tips. Awesome. Amazing. Amazing. God, this whole thing makes me think about roadhouse. <laughs> right. <laughs> Right, the 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 the, the, re, the remake or the original? No, the original. Duh, that was a, that was a trick question. To they see. did a remake. Yeah, it's good that you don't even know about it. I don't even know about it. Who's in the remake? Yeah. I don't even know. I didn't go see it. Oh. But uh, the, the the yeah the original. The original is the greatest film of all time. It's so good. I know. <laughs> right on. All right, brother. Thanks again okay. so much, Tony. Um, I look forward to, to catching up with you again soon. And Be safe. Uh, take care. Yeah, love you, bro. Take care, man.